Hello and welcome to the Majlis podcast, Ready for Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's media manager here in Washington, D.C. The police burst into the office of journalist Bolot Temirov in Bishkek, forcing his news outlet's employees onto the floor and two officers sat on Temirov, the chief editor. Then they lift him up and made him empty his pocket. Bingo! A pouch of marijuana comes out of his pocket. This might sound like a paragraph from the transcript of a poorly scripted Hollywood movie, but the thing is, in this case, it happened, and it happened recently in Bishkek, and it could lead to possibly the demise of another independent media outlet in Kyrgyzstan, where independent journalism are increasingly squeezed since the current president coming to power. But in Temirov's case, the, the way events unfolded in his office the backstory was equally interesting, strange, and obviously chilling for those who are still brave enough to touch sensitive issues like corruption in the country. Temirov is one of those Kyrgyz journalists who, despite repeated harassment of him and his team, has been carrying on landmark investigations involving corruption and corrupt practices of people in positions of power. So today, we are here to discuss the increasing challenges of investigative journalism in Kyrgyzstan and dig into the events surrounding journalist Bolot Temirov in terms of what does this case tell us about what might lie ahead. To discuss all these, I'm joined by Bigayam Usanova, media expert and consultant and formerly the director of media Policy Institute in Bishkek, Ilya Lazuski, the editor of the recent investigation on the crackdown against journalist Temirov and his team, Bruce Panier, the editor of Radio Free Radio Liberty's Central Asia blog Kishlok Awazi. Thank you, colleagues, for joining us on this important conversation. But before I head on, let me say this. The idea for this episode came from the recent breathtaking investigation about the crackdown on journalist Bolot Temirov and his team in Bishkek. The investigation was a joint project by Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's Kyrgyz service, Azatuk Radio C, OCCRP, and Klub News. If you have not seen the report yet, I would suggest you stop listening to the podcast right here and check out the website of one of the partnering agencies and read the report. Having read the report, our discussion is going to make much more sense. So with this, let's get into this report. Obviously, given uh, Temirov's case uh, being a clear example of what we have uh, in mind to discuss today, so I would start the conversation with the report and then expand on growing challenges of investigative journalism in, in the country. So, Elia, please tell us how this report came about. Well, we were shocked to hear about the raid on Bolot Timirov's office. There was actually a correspondent from our local partner, Kloop, there on the scene. I think she just happened to be walking by, and she spoke with a colleague of Bolot's. You know, he has his own media outlet called Timirov Live, so it's not just him there. He has an office in Bishkek, and there was a raid going on, and Kloop actually live-streamed the raid, and we saw watching that live stream that the lawyers weren't allowed inside at first, then only one lawyer was allowed. And then this whole story pretty quickly came out, uh, you know, with Bolov yelling as he was being dragged essentially out of the office. They planted it, they planted it, you know, and so that's how we learned that, you know, he and all his colleagues say that a little bag of marijuana was planted on him, which is obviously just a completely shocking thing to happen. 
to an investigative journalist. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, even in Russia, when something like this happens, it's a pretty big scandal. It happened with uh, in Russia, you know, within the past two years, but it's not that common even there. In Kyrgyzstan, known as the freest and most democratic country in Central Asia, it's very shocking. And we were looking into what Bolot Tumirov was working on, and he was working on an investigation that had just come out two days before the raid about the head of the GKNB, the Kyrgyz Security Services. And there's a long history of Bolot being under pressure. And so we started putting everything together. And as you mentioned, you know, this raid was only the tip of the iceberg. And we got into the fact that he had found a hidden camera in his apartment mm. a few months prior, literally built into the wall with a secret Wi-Fi router and a video recorder and a microphone. And then there was this horrific plot to basically entrap one of his employees. Yeah. She was approached at the gym by a young man. They started chatting. They were started exchanging text messages. He invited her on a weekend trip. And um, their uh, sexual encounter ended up being recorded, as, as we discovered later, and as she discovered later. And she was pressured by agents from the Gakanba to report to them about what Tim Bolo Timirov, her employer, was working on what kind of investigations were coming. And then after the raid and after this compromising material was gathered in the week after that, anonymous Facebook pages published these really aggressive, menacing videos that, first of all, accused Bolot of working with foreign intelligence services. Mm. And they were using documents that had been seized from his computer during the raid. So we can see this pipeline of the police, yeah. you know, allegedly for drug offenses, confiscating his outlet's computers and then taking documents from those computers and somehow passing them on to whoever produced these videos, anonymous videos and publishing them. And then the same videos also made this completely wild accusation that this young woman had been forced by Tamirov to sleep essentially with foreign donors in order to get money for the organization, which is a completely ridiculous accusation, yeah. of course, and just a very shameful thing to make up about somebody, obviously. And it's just very clear where this is all coming from. He was investigating the head of the security services, Tashiev, oh. and then they're taking their revenge. And this whole saga is very shocking, especially in the context of Kyrgyzstan. Mm. So that's why we felt we had to do this story as quickly as possible and just put it out there and make sure that you know this does not happen without a response and i think we've seen quite a response and i'm happy to say that bolot is uh, not beaten down and he's still gonna fight the good fight and do his journalism and we're very happy to see that and he's where he is currently i mean i know that he's he was in, taken he's for in, questioning but uh, what happened with that he was charged with drug possession hmm. and but released you know pending the investigation so he's free right now hmm. i think maybe they confiscated his passport and i think there was some confusion about whether they had given him his passport back or not but you know clearly you know he's being charged with a crime and um, aside from his statement you know and his colleagues saying that the drugs had been planted even the origins of that raid are very curious because apparently some woman had claimed that he was forcing her to take drugs and that's why the raid on his office took place and it's very curious also that after this raid the head of the Gekenbe held a press conference talking about it which is just strange considering this is the head of the security services of an entire country and he's talking about one raid that resulted, even if it was true, in the confiscation of a small bag of marijuana. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. Mm. Okay, since that event happened, what has been kind of sort of a, a storyline presented by the authorities and the steps being taken by the authorities in this regard? I mean, it looks like, I mean, the, the way that you described the story, too much work went 
into this case by the security officials, like, you know, trying to kind of lure one of his employees and get information from her and using that uh, information as a trap to threaten her and her family to work cooperate with the authority. I mean, it looks like too much work went into this by the security apparatus by the Kyrgyzstan. So sort of a kind of a step-by-step visualization of the day when this happened and then what followed next. Okay, so the the story of the young woman had happened, I think it was started in December. Hmm. The raid was in January. The secret camera that hmm. was found in his apartment was, I think, in the fall, hmm. if I'm remembering. I don't remember the exact that exact timeline, hmm. but it sort of happened, I guess, in the past four or five months. This all happened, and it was the same time period that he was working on this investigation that um, came out about Kamchebek. Toshiev, the head of the security services. And Folod had said that prior to this, there was sort of a long, quiet period when he wasn't being bothered. Mm. Although he also mentioned there were sometimes cars outside his office he thought were shadowing him or his employees. But it does seem like the security services' interest in him and his outlet coincided with him working on this investigation. And of course, when you're working on an investigation, it's impossible to keep it entirely secret what you're working on because you're talking to sources, because you're doing research. Eventually, as the day of publication, comes closer you have to you know ask the subjects of your investigation for comment and then it becomes very clear what you're working on Mm -hmm. so i think timeline just leaves no doubt that this is sort of uh, partly trying to prevent him from publishing it and then once it was published then it was retaliation and again it's just a really completely shocking use of state resources and the accusations, again, that were made against mm-hmm. Bolot, you know, the, one of the videos claimed that he was working ag- against the interests of Kyrgyzstan in the mm-hmm. service of both Russian and American Whoa. security services at the same time. I mean, it, I don't know where these people get these ideas. It's kind of this these nationalist anonymous Facebook pages that publish this, but obviously they seem to have a connection to the mm-hmm. services. Mm-hmm. So it is, yes, as you said, you know, it is shocking the amount of effort that went into this. And it's, I think evidence of how personally Kamchebek Tashiev, the head of the security services, mm. took Bolot's investigation, which was an investigation into his family members profiting from a scheme involving an oil business. I'm not familiar with the exact details of his investigation, but um, it involved corruption, and these right. things are very sensitive. Right. So, Right. I have a couple of other questions about Temirov and the investigation itself. So, as I did, Bruce, I'm sure you have read the, the investigation. So, what was your takeaway from it? You know, just... How how amateurish and and uh, clearly you know directed it it was at him you know it, it, the timing is horrible is so suspect he's been investigating for a while but he just does the report and then he gets he gets trapped in this and um, you know the fact that um, for instance that they tested Tamirov right you know to see if he had any any drugs in his system and, and it came up clean it came up clean quickly and then it came up clean again later you know the lengths they went to like like you were saying to try to get this and, and just that it was so poorly done. You know, I mean, if nothing else, it it made Tashiev and his family look even more involved than it even if they people had just listened to Tamirov's reports, uh, you know, a report on this and what had happened. I mean, the speed with which they went to work to try to shut him down and and keep him quiet was absolutely ridiculous. And and like I said, for me, it just kind of showed everything that this was poorly planned, hastily planned, probably. And clearly what they were trying to do was discredit him to the fullest extent possible. You know, I know you mentioned that they even took stuff from his computers uh, and posted anonymous people posted it on the Internet. So how, how did something confiscated by the police end up on the Internet? from, uh, you know, on Facebook, from uh, anonymous sources. And, and, you know, again, what Ilya said about him, him being accused of working for in the interest of both Russia and the United States. 
to try to somehow subvert or discredit the Kyrgyz government. I mean, the whole thing was just stupid and serious. Yeah, very interesting. Also, Big I am, uh, you uh, have been leading one of the media policy institute in Kyrgyzstan until recently. So I'm sure that you are aware of uh, Bolot Temirov in his work. So what is known about him in the country, about about his work? I mean, with this, I'm sort of trying to get to the point that why is he constantly in trouble? It was not the first time that he was on the radar of the local authorities. He seems to have history of getting in trouble with the authorities. So what do you guys know about him and about his work and how he's known in the country? The thing is that a Media Policy Institute, we provide uh, legal assistance to different kinds of journalists, uh, mostly to uh, non-governmental uh, working journalists. And almost like for four years or maybe more, uh, there are lots of uh, investigations that are being conducted by journalists of different uh, media outlets, such as Globe, Cactus, Azatek, and uh, some others. Uh, there is a high um, interest of journalists in fact-checking uh, projects to make government accountable. So there is high interest from journalists uh, to be a public watchdog uh, and to provide Uh, citizens with public uh, concern uh, information. And uh, Bolot Yemirov uh, was one of the leading journalists of this uh, organization, which is called Fact Check uh, KG, which uh, started with conducting investigations uh, on checking not credible information to raise awareness of public, of uh, the society, to uh, help them um, become more uh, media literate. And uh, after doing this uh, project, he continued uh, as being investigator himself and opened his own uh, media outlet, Mirror Life. And what uh, our society is mostly interested in, they are interested uh, in um, the problems with corruption, with what's happening in economics, so what is happening on the borders. So the public are actually interested in all these issues on which Bolot is through his investigation he's trying to find the answer so yes first during these years he was attacked in the beginning of 2020 and um, this is actually another wave of attack on journalists is uh, for me it's unprecedented because i mean we had different kinds of waves of attacks on journalists but now we see another uh, round of more massive attacks not only using state censorship actions like new laws limiting freedom of speech in, in the country but also like in calls for interrogations without any obvious and legal reasons uh, we also have these reports on state media with uh, blaming journalists of being disrupted by western values so and uh, we also have civil lawsuits against journalists But for years, maybe more, uh, we also see uh, these uh, coordinated attacks on social media, uh, attacks on paid-for trolls to divert attention of the public from journalistic investigations and from corruption to something not even related to the topic. And uh, it's not only our, actually, our trend in Kyrgyzstan, it's global trend. And that's why probably this is so powerful and uh, important uh, for us to pay attention to. Right. Certainly, it, it looks like there are lines seems to be so blurry as to, you know, what gets you in trouble in the country. Obviously, we are going to talk about this a little bit later. But before, a couple of more questions about Temirov. So, uh, Ilya, uh, again, sort of the same question. 
question to you uh, in terms of Bulut's uh, trouble with the authorities. I mean, you have uh, must have spoken to him a lot. There has to be like, uh, as Bigai was talking about, there are journalists doing numerous types of investigative work, research in Kyrgyzstan, and they are too getting into various forms and sort of trouble as uh, Bigai was talking about. But Timirov seems to be constantly on the radar of the authorities. I mean, what makes him a particular target? And, and, and the second leg of my question is, in the face of all these harassment, on, in the face of all these attacks, what is he motivated by to continue this work despite those challenges? I think one of the reasons he's such a frequent target is because he goes after very powerful people. He's very brave. You know, the previous major incident that I, you know, spoke with him and sort of that we covered was, as Begay mentioned, in January 2020, he was beaten. And that was after he published an investigation that exposed the wealth of Reimbeck Matraimov, a former customs official who I know we've spoken on this podcast about those stories before. You know, that was a major project that was also a collaboration between us at OCCRP and Klop and Radio Free Europe's uh, Kyrgyz service. So, um, but Timirov was one of the first people to go after Matraimov, a f- top former customs official who was massively corrupt and he was very powerful and politically influential. And back then, you know, in 2020, Bolot explained to me that he was offered money to stop publication. His website was attacked and taken down. You know, he was slandered by trolls online. And then these three young men beat him very savagely and brutally. And he believes that they were sent, you know, by Matraimov or by his allies. So, you know, Reimbek Matraimov and um, Kamchebek um, Tashiev, these are two of some of the most powerful people in Kyrgyzstan. And Bolod is not afraid to publish investigative stories about them. And uh, that puts him on their radar. And I think in terms of his journalism, you know, he, he said actually that it was after that beating that he got the idea to start a new outlet, Timirov Live, which is his current outlet. And he said that was the turning point. You know, he didn't want to only do fact checking. He wanted to do major investigations. And the style in which he does them, it's these kind of very nice, you know, nicely produced, well-explained YouTube videos. And to me, you know, it's kind of reminiscent of what Alexei Navalny does in mm. Russia or used to do before he was imprisoned. Um, you know, it's a very kind of popular approach where you take complicated, corrupt schemes and you explain them, you know, with a very charismatic sort of presenter and you have diagrams on the screen. And it's sort of a new thing for Kyrgyzstan. And, you know, um, Bolot says he feels that, you know, video is the future of this kind of journalism. You know, he thinks people don't read as much as they used to. And he's really eager to make sure that the Kyrgyz people see these investigations and are reached by them. So I think that that combination, he goes after the most powerful people, and then he makes sure that ordinary Kyrgyz people can really understand what he's exposing. That makes him very problematic for the authorities who don't like being exposed. And that makes him, unfortunately, uh, a target. So he is not in in detention, as as we understand, and but still charges are pending, uh, charges uh, involving the uh, drug position. So what the future holds for him in his outlet? Any any thoughts on that? I think there's been a lot of attention to his case, so I'm hoping that you know already even just a day, I think, or two after the raid on his office, some Kyrgyz people and activists and other journalists came out in a protest, you know, in 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 his defense. So I think there is people know who he is. I'm hoping that people will come to his defense and make it clear that they expect the law to be followed. And it's clear that so many laws have been broken in the authorities' pursuit of him. And um, it's pretty clear that he should not 
be convicted, of course. He shouldn't even be charged in the first place. I don't know what will happen. You know, the Kyrgyz justice system is functioning, more or less. Not super great, but, you know, I think better than some neighboring countries. So I think there's a chance that, you know, he could go free, and hopefully that will be the case. I mean, technically, he I think he faces up to five years in prison for drug possession charge. I mean, I really hope it won't get to that. Mm. But I think we also have to be honest, this is such a high-profile case involving a key ally of the president that, you know, I think, unfortunately, there's a very small chance that this will be sort of rationally decided in a court of law. I think it'll be a political decision, and I hope the decision will be to free him and to allow him to continue his important work because he works in the interests of the Kyrgyz public. So hopefully this will not mark a continued decline in press freedom in Kyrgyzstan because that would be very depressing, and um, we hope it won't come to that, and we hope that um, the authorities will see that this is cannot be the way they continue to act, but, you know, we'll have to see. I guess we can we can also discuss what can help his case as it stands. Maybe let's do it a little bit later. Before that, Bruce, one more question. I mean, we heard in details, uh, Elia speak about the circumstances in which Temirov was uh, harassed and then now in the, in the situation what he's in today. Um, so I guess my question is how familiar, similar it sounds with the all the other cases that you have been following in Kyrgyzstan in terms of the harassment of journalists and independent media outlets there. Really, in terms of Kyrgyzstan, it doesn't compare with a lot of other cases. There's been times where investigative journalists have gone after powerful figures before, and at least in the in you know in the distant past, for instance, in the mid 1990s, there was a journalist named uh, Zamira Sadikova, and she worked with, for a newspaper called the Risk Publica. And um, they were investigating property that belonged to then Kyrgyz President Oskar Akayev that was supposedly in Turkey. Like I said, they didn't go to these links. They used the court system to try to, to prove that this was liable. Uh, and then part of her punishment was that she was barred from practicing journalism for 18 months. But I mean, it wasn't beatings and raids, you know, on the building. And, and then, well, of course, social media wasn't a big factor way back then. But I mean, you know, generally in Kyrgyzstan, when there's problems like this, they, they, they have, have encountered a lot of problems. And, and very dubious charges have surfaced against it. But th- this one, like I said, it represents something new mm-hmm. for Kyrgyzstan. Uh, the, you know, again, the, the way this was orchestrated and, and how, well, how poorly it was orchestrated, too. But, you know, just that they would go after him and have this whole campaign ready to try to discredit him on, on multiple levels and get him out. We haven't seen anything like that before. It used to be, like I said, it used to be tried to just try to get them in court and get them shut down for either for articles they'd written that the people were saying weren't true or or for tax problems or, or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but not actually going after the journalist, uh, you know, and, or in the case, you know, you mentioned, and, and so did Begayim, that, um, you know, he'd been beaten. To kind of emphasize the point of what kind of figure he was, when he was beaten in January 2020, that was a totally different president and government at the time, right? So this is the kind of, uh, unfortunately, the kind of thing that he attracts is... Uh, you know, it was just two different, two different administrations, and he's still been targeted by them. So on that, Temirov's case is obviously, uh, as you were talking about, Bruce, a chilling reminder of uh, the changing uh, realities on the ground uh, for investigative journalism in, in Kyrgyzstan. So what else have we seen in recent days indicative of where things might be headed going forward? So let's continue the conversation talking about these and many other questions very shortly.
first, let me recap the debate that today on the Majlis podcast, I'm joined by Begayim Usanaba, a media expert and consultant and formerly the director of Media Policy Institute in Bishkek, Elia Lazuski, managing editor at the OCCRP, also the editor of the recent investigation on the crackdown against journalist Temirov and his team, Bruce Panier, Ready for Pedro Liberties, editor of Central Asia blog, Kishlok Awasi. I'm Mohammed Tahir, Ready for Pedro Liberties media manager and host of the Majlis podcast here in Washington, D.C., and we are discussing the growing challenges of investigative journalism in Kyrgyzstan. So, aside from Temirov's case, our Kyrgyz service, uh, Azatik Radio C, has been reporting about the Prosecutor General's Office initiating a criminal proceeding against local Kaktush media over the past two or three days. The excuse there is that they rep- uh, reprinted an article from the Tajik news agency Asia Plus about the situation along the Kyrgyz-Tajik border. I have I have two questions about this. Uh, maybe uh, I should uh, invite you, Begayim, on that. First is, if you are aware about the, the case of Kaktush Media, has anything came out of that? Yes, uh, actually, this is it concerns me a lot, uh, this case with Cactus, together with uh, Bolotimirov's case, uh, it threatens, it, it has chilling effects on journalists, on the society, because everybody understands that cases are very similar with different uh, content, uh, but the form uh, of the oppression is very similar and the roots are at the same place. So what happened with Cactus website? They republished an article about the conflict on the border with Tajikistan. So, and they are now being accused that they promote a war. But why I'm so concerned that um, there is no any logic in this prosecution, in this case, but they still do that. So I think that uh, in this conversation, there were some comparisons with Russia. They also very often do not have any logic. But but here we see that there is no law too. So uh, because Cactus website, they, they reposted this article from Tajik web uh, site after conflict has happened. Mm. So they, they are not the source of this conflict at all. Mm. But now they are being accused that they provoked uh, armed conflict. Everybody uh, in the country knows that uh, it was not uh, them. It is border conflict that is active phase started last year, but uh, more or less it, it, it is being going on for some time because of mm. unresolved issues with um, demarcation and uh, border delimitation. So definitely the, the article is not the cause of border conflict. <laughs> and um, Sure, obviously. But big, I'm, you know, I had a second question too. But before I go to my second question, so what I could gather about the uh, Cactus is, I guess several editors of Cactus Media were questioned by the prosecutor's office as part of the uh, criminal case as witness and and they were forced to sign a non-disclosure agreement on the content of the interrogation. So we really don't know what went on there. But that is, in fact, that is in itself threatening. So my second question is, so Temirov being stranded for his investigative work on corruption, the Cactus Media is in trouble for reprinting the Tajik website article about the cross-border tension. So what else can get one in trouble in Kyrgyzstan these days? Any any other examples? Uh, you know, I cannot predict. Uh, um, I mean, the line looks so blurred. I mean, I think I think everything might uh, happen because we see that uh, stakes are going up and not uh, legally grounded reasons are being used. Mm. 
So, and uh, the problem probably, if you compare with previous periods of Kyrgyzstan independence times, that the society used to be more vocal in, in supporting journalists and journalists were really real mediators. But now we have, um, after social media development and coming into everybody's lives, journalists are not such a big power in Kyrgyzstan too anymore. It's my opinion. Nobody conducted actually the surveys. But if we remember October 2020 events, we, we can notice some similarities when social media actually played a huge role in changing power. And I mean, the exact actor who took all the power using society's concerns with stolen elections. So I think that what's disturbing right now and why uh, all of us in the in the journalistic society what we cannot uh, predict is that the society even they know they keep silence they're not so supporting as it used to be and this is not only because they're silenced and uh, I mean because they're scared but also because they have so many things to do and uh, things are happening we have massive flow of information of new news that are happening right now and so this is also one of biggest challenge problems this time mm. uh, it just looks uh, looks so I don't know. I'm just trying to find the right word to explain this. But uh, let me bring you in, uh, Elia, here. Earlier, you had this another major report in partnership with the organizations like RFR and others. And you have so many local colleagues that you partner with in those kind of reports. So sort of a you know, similar question. I mean, it looks like these days you never know when you get in trouble with the authorities. Like when you are dealing with sort of major investigative work involving one of the powerful people in the country, I guess the answer kind of seems to get obvious. But, you know, the the situation, Cactus Media, just reprinting the article from the Asia Plus about the tension on the border. I mean, I'm just kind of trying to understand, I mean, how journalists navigate this uh, blurred line, I mean, in terms of not to get in trouble. It's always a challenge. I think, you know, unfortunately, not only in Central Asia, but in other regions of the world where we work, we have a lot of experience with this kind of um, pressure. And it's not, you know, it's not always government pressure that's the most dangerous. Sometimes it's organized crime. Sometimes it's the intersection of government and organized crime. Sometimes it's, you know, populist sort of anger that's stirred up by the government. There's different things that can happen. And there are places that are a lot worse than Kyrgyzstan, even accounting for what we're talking about today. So we have experience, you know, we have protocols for how to keep our journalists safe. And a lot of that involves being as loud as possible. The louder you are, the more international attention you get, the harder it is for someone to come after you. So we always, you know, urge everything to be republished as widely as possible. That's why we make sure, you know, when our local partner club publishes, we publish at exactly the same time. You know, we ask you guys when we partner with you to publish at the same time. Of course, you have enormous reach. So that's helpful. We publish in, you know, all languages in Russian and Kyrgyz and and English. So that can help sometimes. And, you know, as most dangerous period usually is before a story is published, Hmm. as with happened to some of Bullock's colleagues, you know, that was the worst time for them is when the story was in preparation, because that's when the authorities are the most desperate because they know they can still stop it. So at that point, you have to publish as quickly as possible. And um, 
and once you publish, then you just try to make sure you get attention and make it sort of more difficult to come after you. But it's it's impossible to predict. You know, we've been surprised by how little pressure has resulted from some of our investigations. And in other times, we are not expecting anything bad. And then it ends up being terrible. And of course, there are other forms of pressure, too. I mentioned a few of them earlier. Another one is lawsuits. Um, you know, that's not something we usually worry about so much in Central Asia, but that form of pl- pressure has also been applied against Klop. And we've seen that, you know, we cover corruption around the world and it often involves properties in the United Kingdom or companies in the United Kingdom. And that leaves, because of the laws in that country, that often leaves you very vulnerable to libel lawsuits. Hmm. Um, we had we had to beat, beat one back from Azerbaijan last year. Hmm. And um, thankfully, that ended in a hmm. pretty favorable settlement. But um yeah, the simple answer is that there. Unfortunately, there is no simple answer, but mm. we just have to keep going and be as loud as we can. Yeah. So on the same, like in in Temirov's case, for example, the guy seems to be in trouble. So what what can help? Well, the first thing is you have to be a professional journalist. You can't be someone who is seen as, you know, some kind of troublesome rabble rouser. You have to be a professional and you only speak the truth, mm. and you just try to get other people to republish what you're doing and to pay attention to you and you try to show the people of Kyrgyzstan you know your audience that you are working to their benefit you're working so that uh, they can know what's happening in their own country and so they can hold their officials accountable and that's what Bolot does and we've seen already as I mentioned people coming out on the street to protest his arrest and he earned that because of his work and because of how, how much he cares and because of how good he is and exposing what the Kyrgyz people uh, need to know. I think there's no magic formula. I think you just have to do good work and do it hard. And then partnerships with other journalists is often the thing that can save you. Mm. So um, is there, is there that's our like, whole model here to CRP. Is there anything that international community can do? Like, I mean, is there any need for such help from international community? Does it help or not? I guess that's another story. But I think it does, because I think that, you know, people in the country know that the international community is paying attention and expects them to leave space, you know, that they are obliged to leave for press freedom and for freedom of speech. Hmm. Yes, I think it makes a difference. Uh, In some cases, you know, like in Russia, that's often used by the authorities as evidence. Oh, you are part of an international plot, whatever. Hmm. But um, in some other countries, it really can help. So, yes, the international community needs to pay attention. Who's who's um, wise? Whose voice, Elia? Whose voice more relevant from international within international community to speak up to intervene on this in similar cases? In this case, particular. Uh, it's hard to say. I think it's going to be different in every case. I mean, in this case, I think you know, Kyrgyzstan is a small country, and if its major international partners, you know, the United States, donors, countries, um, you know, Russia would make a big difference if they said something because Kyrgyzstan is so dependent in many ways on Russia. I don't really expect that to happen. Yeah. But, but you know, in the case of a country like Kyrgyzstan, I think, yes, pressure from a big country can make a big difference. Mm. Okay. So, Bruce, uh, just to kind of expand this, uh, you know, Temerov's case and then the Cactus's case, and obviously there are numerous other cases that we, we forgot to mention today. So the, all that kind of brings me to ask one question, and I, I'm sure that with the background and expertise, you are the best person uh, to answer this question. So what happened to Kyrgyzstan? Uh, you know, the, the days when uh, journalists used to be the mediators, uh, as just the guy said, uh, those days seems to be like history. I mean, what just happened to Kyrgyzstan? 
I agree that, you know, journalists have played a really valuable role and, and been really respected in Kyrgyzstan, you know, pretty much throughout its history. I think every single government administration that's been in has, has run into problems with, with journalists. You know, I mean, because the community, obviously, the independent journalist community there is, or independent media is much more vibrant, I mean, and thriving in Kyrgyzstan. Really, there's, you know, they, they, they drown out state media effectively, the independent outlets in Kyrgyzstan, right? But every single government that's been in has had this kind of problem. I mentioned, you know, Akaya, but I mean, Bakiev, when he came in, he wanted all the media to be independent in the country. And he said he was willing to withstand whatever criticism they brought against him. That only lasted about a year or two before uh, he also got tired of hearing the criticism and started to to take steps to reduce the space that you could report in. Atambayev was suing our Kyrgyz service and other media outlets. Uh, you know, Cactus, which you mentioned, what used to be Zona. I'm trying to remember if that's right or not. But that, that wasn't their original name. They were they were sued by Atambayev for reporting on his alleged property in Turkey uh, and, and Tekibayev's investigation into, into it too. So this has always happened. Every single practically, every single administration has, has they've drawn a line somewhere. Now the difference is this is a, a very strange administration. You know they, they came in by very strange means. It was after a, sort of a small revolution in Kyrgyzstan. There was a power vacuum left over. These guys pushed their way in to power, and this seems to what we're seeing is is just you know another expression of the same thing that we saw in October 2020 when they took power. That they're much more aggressive in dealing with opposition than previous governments have been in Kyrgyzstan, uh, which is the, the really worrying thing about this, is that these guys, you know, there's a lot of suspicion that they're connected with organized crime some way or another, you know, and, and so it's uh, probably one of the worst periods in Kyrgyzstan's 30-year-plus history to be journalist. And, um, you know, what we just saw was, like I said, this was really a thug kind of raid on Tamiro's property, you know, and, and the, the lengths they went to, you know, the bugging of his apartment and the setup of that, that poor young woman that was working for him and everything like that. I mean, it shows that these guys are willing to resort to depths or plumb depths that previous administrations weren't. And that's, that's really worrying. You, you are right. And I, I guess we are also very much out of time. You know, you know, these kind of pressure as you were talking about, Bruce, it did happen also in the past in Kyrgyzstan. Journalists faced on numerous level these kind of pressure, but the thing seems to be used to be better and are still better, I guess, when you compare Kyrgyzstan with neighboring countries. But Kyrgyzstan has also never been Sweden and has, is never going to be Sweden. But the circumstances in which the Temirov's case sort of unfolded, it is really, really chilling. Maybe one final question there. Uh, I think the guy you might wish to jump in here. So cases like Temirovis or Kaktosis or the others that Bruce brought up examples of which, I mean, what kind of impact it is having on on media landscape in Kyrgyzstan overall? I mean, what, what is this situation doing to the media, the independent media or the sort of relatively independent media that Kyrgyzstan is known for, used to known for within Central Asia landscape? So what is these kind of like a pressure, these kind of cases involving Temirov and Kaktos and others are doing to that relative independent media landscape in Kyrgyzstan? 
When on one side there is power is being gathered, on the other side will be resistance. So the, the problem is that uh, what journalists are investigating and covering these stories, they actually make sense to this society because uh, we have problems, economical, social, political problems. Uh, and uh, after journalists would be uh, silenced, uh, that does not mean that this problem will be solved, will be solved. So, so I think that our journalists uh, understands that they are understand that truth is on their side. So they will continue to do their job. As Ilya said, uh, that they should do it properly. Everybody makes mistakes, but not everybody uh, apologizes for, for mistakes. So I think that the more our journalists become stronger and following standards and be more transparent on how they do their stories, the more they will get this uh, trust from uh, the society. And um, so they have to be stronger. It's, it's also refreshing to hear this from you, Abigail. Thank you very much for that. Just to end the conversation with sort of an encouraging word from Temirov himself, and I'm reading a, a, a final paragraph from the investigation uh, which is triggered in this podcast today. Um, Temirov, in which says, referring to, I guess, the reasons behind his troubles, he says, uh, this means we have become stronger. Journalism is developing in Kyrgyzstan. Such things terrorize those in power. In the first place, all of this happens because the authorities have no principles. But the second reason is that investigative journalism has become very strong. So this is, again, a refreshing words from Temirov, who is currently facing sort of backlash for his investigative work in Kyrgyzstan. So with this, I unfortunately have to conclude the conversation here. Thank you very much. Bigayim Osanova, media expert and consultant and formerly the director of Media Policy Institute in Bishkek, Ilya Lazuski, managing editor at the OCCRP and the editor of the recent investigation on the crackdown against journalist Temirov and his team, and Bruce Panier, the editor of Ready for the Liberty Central Asia blog, Kishlok Owazi. Thank you, colleagues, very much for joining us today. And this is from me, Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis Ready for the Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. Until next week, bye-bye.